Good to be with you all this evening as we continue on in this series. Uh, I feel like you've been sitting down for a little while already, and we're going to be skipping all over the Bible tonight. I want your brain to be switched on well. So I'm going to give you a moment to stretch your legs. As you do that, I want you to ask someone nearby you this question. One question, this question. Who are you? Go. Stand up, stretch your legs. You can continue getting to know one another a bit later on, but why don't you grab a seat? It's a confronting question, but it's a good question. I've got to say, it's one of my favorite questions to ask in a small group get-to-know-you activity. I'm sure you've all been in that small group environment, whether it's within church or a workplace or a uni group, and you, know, you have to have the icebreaker, let's get to know one another. You get the cliched questions, oh, let's go around the circle and what color is your toothbrush? <laughs> What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Do you scrunch? Do you fold? Yeah, see, I get that response and it makes me feel like you don't know what those two mean, which it's my bogan heritage, isn't it? Uh, the scrunch or fold question. But I love most of all just getting people to, to ask and to say of one another, who, who are you? The freedom that that question gives, you get to see what's important to people. And it's a significant question. It raises the idea of our identity. Knowing who you are is important. It brings peace. It brings stability. It brings clarity to your life to know who you are. My name's Lachlan. I'm a Christian. Now, there's more that I could tell you about myself. I'm 30 years old. I've got two older brothers, a loving mum and dad. Uh, I'm getting married in two months to the best and most beautiful woman in the world. Sorry to the other ladies that are here, but Candy is the best, most beautiful woman in the world. I could tell you that I'm a nerd. I love books. I love puzzles. All of those things would be true about me, but the foundational thing about me, the foundational thing for my identity is that I'm a Christian, that I'm a Jesus man, a Jesus follower, a Jesus believer. My life is about Him. Across these five weeks at church, as Ming has mentioned, we're looking at God's Word and seeing what God has to say about who we are, who we are as humans, who we are as Christians, who we are as the church. Last week, it was so helpful as we kicked off, and Rowan urged us to switch off autopilot in life, to stop just drifting along with the way that the community around us is going, to to wake up, actually see and make decisions about where life is headed. And do you remember the first statement from last week? Ming reminded us of it earlier. Uh, We are... You sound so excited about it. Come on. We are... Yes. Yes, it is exciting. We exist to show the world how big God is. To to show off the greatness of God. 
a wonderful thing for us. And tonight, as we continue on, we're really just looking at the logical outflow of that. Once we see how great God is, once we recognize His majesty, His glory, we'll talk about that, not just to one another, but to the world around us as well. And so tonight, we're looking at our second statement, we are missionaries. We exist to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as missionaries, saved and sent by Him. So let me pray that we would hear God this evening and that we'd obey Him. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you've gathered us here tonight. None of us is here by accident. You've brought us all along to hear your word. And so please this evening, capture us with the goodness of the gospel. Show us your excellencies, your perfections. Show us your beauty. Show us with clarity what you've done for us so that we might just burst forth with praise, not just amongst ourselves, but within our neighborhoods, within our families, within our workplaces. Please, by your Spirit, stir in us a missionary spirit that we might go and make disciples of all nations. And we pray this for the sake of your name. Amen. Well, come with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, the passage that Mariel just read for us. Let's see God's statement of who we are. You might have picked up the context as Mariel read that out for us. But Peter, within this chapter, is contrasting two sets of people. Those who believe in or trust in Jesus, contrasted with those who don't believe in, don't trust in Jesus. As we get into verse 9, we're seeing a description of those who do trust in Jesus. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His, that is God's, possession. What a wonderful description of us as the church. We are a new and special people. The language that Peter's using, he's picking it up from the Old Testament. Descriptions that were used for Israel. You can jot it down in your outline, there's space there for notes. Uh, It's language pretty much word for word from Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. There, God is rescuing Jacob's descendants one person's family. He's rescuing them out of slavery in Egypt. They'd been there for about 400 years. And he's constituting them as a new nation, making them a nation out of nothing. They were just one family, but God's giving them a land, forming them as a a people. Uh, He's giving them a constitution, his law. He's, He's made his will known to them and brought them into a good land. What Peter's doing by taking this language is saying that we as Christians have been saved in just the same way. Just like Israel was saved out of slavery in Egypt, so we too have been saved and constituted, formed as a new and special nation. As the church, as Christians, we are citizens of God's nation. I don't know if you've been following the fun that's happened in Australian politics a few weeks ago, uh, tied up with this idea of citizenship. Australia's Deputy Prime Minister, his name's Barnaby Joyce, it's always fun to say Barnaby Joyce. He's a fun-looking guy as well. Uh, he, he was found out to actually be a Kiwi. Australia's Deputy Prime Minister is actually a New Zealander. You can imagine the, the furor that that caused. Like, how can we have a New Zealander as our Deputy Prime Minister? And it turns out that the Australian Constitution has a rule from 116 years ago 
that if you're a citizen of another nation, you're actually not allowed to be a politician. Now, why is that law there? It's because there's an idea that if, if you're a citizen of a nation, your allegiance will be to that nation. Citizenship is about the, the nation whose interests you seek. And so if you've got a dual citizenship, if you're not just a citizen of Australia, but of somewhere else as well, it calls your allegiance into question. Whose interests are you really serving? And so there's been five politicians uh, in the past few weeks who have been found out to be dual citizens, and a couple of them have resigned, a couple of others, they're still trying to figure out what to do, because citizenship matters. As Christians, our fundamental national identity is not that we're New Zealanders. And our fundamental ethnic identity is not Kiwi or Maori or Samoan or South African or Chinese or Indian or Aussie. Our primary ethnic identity is that we're Christian. We're part of a new race. Our citizenship, our identity, it's in heaven where God is. That's our home now. That's where our allegiance lies. And so when we get to verse 11, notice the way Peter describes us there. We are strangers and temporary residents. Uh, Many of you will know I spent some time in the Pacific Islands, six months living in Tonga. When I moved back to Australia from there, lots of people were asking me, how does it feel to be home? And my answer then, it's an answer I need to keep remembering as I go on in life. My answer was, I'm not home yet. My home's in heaven. Until then, I'm just passing through. Doesn't matter what country I'm in. There's no homeland for us as Christians on this earth. We are strangers here. Temporary residents, just passing through. We're a new and special people, a chosen race, a holy nation. So I want you to say something with me. Next slide just has one sentence on it. I want you to say this out loud with me. You ready? I am a stranger and temporary resident on this earth. Let's say it again. I am a stranger and temporary resident on this earth. Do you believe that? Let that be true for you. This is what God is telling us about ourselves. We have a new home, a new citizenship. And it raises the question for us, well, why? So humanly speaking, when you're a temporary resident somewhere, there's a reason. I know for some of you here tonight, you are a temporary resident in New Zealand from a different country. And and you've come here for a reason. Perhaps you moved country to study. Or perhaps there were job opportunities that you couldn't get in another country, so you came to New Zealand to expand your working opportunities. Or perhaps in the country that you've come from, life was just pretty terrible. There might have been war, civil unrest, and so you've moved to try to find a more peaceful living situation. There's always a reason behind becoming a temporary resident. So why has God given us this new national identity, yet left us here on earth? Why are we just passing through here? Well, have a look at how verse 9 continues. 1 Peter chapter 2. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you 
out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has formed us as a people, as the church, so that we proclaim his praises. God has given us our new national identity so that we would speak out to the world how excellent he is. Living in New Zealand, we do this a bit just about our country, don't we? We praise our country to outsiders. You, You should come for a holiday. Check out the mountains in the South Island. It's pretty fantastic. Probably don't spend too much time around Auckland, but you could go north from here or go down to the lake. There's not much to see in Auckland, but the country on the whole, it's wonderful. You should come. I don't know how much time we spend praising our prime ministers. Uh, I'll leave that one up to you. But when it comes to praising the king of heaven, we have so much to praise our king about. When it comes to that national identity, our king is so praiseworthy. That's just the way he's described here in verse 9. He's the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's picture language there describing the feeling of coming to know God of becoming part of his nation. Darkness in picture language, it's unpleasant, isn't it? Darkness is often cold. Darkness is the place of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty. It's when you're stumbling along in the darkness that you stub your toe and it starts to bleed everywhere. Or when you're in the darkness that you get stabbed to death by the serial killer because you're in a horror movie and you're like, what's going on? I didn't see you there. Darkness is a place of fear. In the Bible, darkness describes life without God. Stumbling along, not knowing where you're going, not knowing what else is out there. But God has called us out of that darkness and into his light. He's opened our eyes so that we can see where we're going, so that we can live without fear. He's brought us into the warmth of his love, and we're going to bask in that light and love forever. Now, that is worthy of praise. And it's all the more worthy of praise once we consider that God isn't giving us here something that we deserve. This transfer from darkness into light, it's all of his mercy. See that in verse 10, 1 Peter 2? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Darkness is the home that we had chosen for ourselves. We'd put ourselves there. We we were created to live in a relationship with God, but by turning our backs on him, by saying to him, no, I'd rather be king for myself. I'd rather rule over life myself. We cut ourselves off from him. We cut ourselves off from his light. God doesn't owe us anything. God could leave us living in the darkness that we'd asked for. He could cast us into utter darkness, cutting us off from all that is pleasant and good. He he would be perfectly fair and just in doing that. But he's extended mercy. He hasn't given us what we deserve. He's brought us from darkness to light. In the next chapter, chapter 3, Peter fills out for us how God's mercy has operated. Flick there, just one page over. It might be on the same page in your Bible. Have a look at 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus died for sin. Not his own sin, but your sin, my sin. 
He died once for all the sin ever committed on this earth. Once for all. Uh, He, the righteous person, the only innocent person to have ever lived on this earth, died for unrighteous people. You and me, people on the wrong side of God's law. And Jesus' death was the death that we deserve. He died it for us to bring us back to God. To bring us out of that darkness into the wonderful light of knowing the God who created and sustains us. Jesus died our death, freeing us from all the guilt and shame that we might feel. That is worthy of praise, isn't it? And then to add mercy to mercy and grace to grace. Jesus didn't stay dead. If you come back to 1 Peter 1 verse 3, have a look at what Peter describes here. Have a look at the way he couches the praise of God. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted and unfading, kept in heaven for you. From the darkness of the shadow of death, God gives us a living hope. Because Jesus lives beyond death, so we too will live beyond death. And we'll get to share in the inheritance of the Son of God. I'm hoping at this point you've all seen The Lion King. Show of hands if you haven't seen The Lion King before. I'm not seeing any hands. Good, good. Uh, Lion King is one of the two movies that I remember from childhood. Uh, The other one I remember was Men in Black because Dad walked out during it. Uh, I don't think I've seen any other movies when I was a kid. There you go. Uh, But Lion King, we went to a quaint little kind of village theatre to watch. It was really cool. There's a scene in The Lion King. I hope you remember it. Uh, Mufasa takes Simba up and and they look out across the kingdom. Everything that the light touches, that's the reach of the kingdom. And Simba gets all excited. You mean, all of that's going to be mine? And his dad says, yeah, everything will be yours. Because that's what happens for the son of a king. They get the inheritance. All of the kingdom becomes theirs. And that's the inheritance that God's talking about here. All the inheritance, all that that belongs to God will become ours. Great inheritance that is in store for us who trust in Jesus. We will reign with Jesus over his kingdom for all eternity. It's an inheritance that nothing can touch. The Bible repeats this consistently. Moths can't get in and eat it away. Rust can't destroy it. God is protecting it. That is worthy of praise. Now, you might be here tonight and you don't yet trust in Jesus. You're not worshipping him as God. You're not letting him call the shots over your life. If that's you, then this inheritance, that's not yours yet. Uh, This transfer from darkness to light, Jesus' death, it's not yours yet, but it can be. It's not because Christians are anything special. It's not like we've done anything. This This is all a gift on offer from God. It can be yours tonight. You just need to acknowledge that he really is God. As simple as that. Recognize that he is the God who should be calling the shots over your life and so apologize to him for having offended him, having to try to take his place. Ask for his forgiveness for the way that you've offended him. If you do that, if you ask God for his forgiveness, the good news is he'll hear that and he will forgive you. Is offering free forgiveness. Can I urge you tonight, take it. Come to God. Acknowledge His rule over you. Acknowledge His power. Acknowledge who He is. And willingly bend the knee. 
honor him as God. For most of us here tonight, we've already done that. We're now living a life of daily confession and trust. I want to say, friends, we have so much to praise God for, don't we? I've just highlighted a couple of things from 1 Peter. The list could go on. We could go on for days unfolding all the things that we praise God for. We heard a bunch of them as Mario read Psalm 86 for us. This one who is slow to anger, abounding in love and mercy. It's God who saves. There's so much that we could praise God for. And we should do that. We should go on for days about it because that's what we are here for. That's what 1 Peter 2 is saying. God has set us up as a, a holy nation, a chosen race, a people for his possession, so that we would proclaim his praises. And that's the heart of mission, to proclaim the praises of God to others. You know, I don't know what images or words come to mind as you think about the word missionary. Perhaps it conjures ideas of adventure, going to exotic places. Perhaps it draws up images of colonialism, overtaking cultures and doing negative things. Perhaps it's the weird and wacky people that you don't want to be. And perhaps it makes you think of boldness, holiness. There are all sorts of ideas about missionaries. Some of them positive, some are negative. Some of them are true, some of them are false. Uh, missionary Ming helped us out a bit earlier with a definition of mission. It comes from a Latin word, missio, which just means to send. A missionary is simply someone that is sent on a task or an important, what was the word, Ming? An important assignment. Uh, someone that is sent to do something. And that is all of us as Christians. Missionaries aren't actually just some kind of subset of Christians. All of us as Christians have been sent by God with a task to proclaim his praises, to speak of how excellent he is, not just among ourselves, but to the rest of the world. God has sent all of us to tell the world of his saving acts, of his mercy and grace. God sends all of us to evangelize, to speak the gospel, to speak the good news of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. Paul picks up on this idea in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Jot it down, look it up later. Paul speaks of himself as an ambassador for Christ, one who has been sent out to represent Jesus to the world around him. But that's not just Paul. We, we can take on that language for ourselves as well. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are missionaries. Now, there are various things that might motivate us in this mission. It's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all thing. I mean, we are all missionaries, but the mission is hard. Over time, it'll become harder or easier as life goes on. And so different things will motivate us at different points in time. I want to outline for us three different motivations tonight. The first one is simply obedience. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Many of you will be familiar with this passage. It's very well known amongst Christian circles. And towards the end of Matthew's gospel, we've just spent 28 chapters getting to know Jesus, seeing who he is as the King of Israel and the God of the world, seeing him as a healer, seeing him in compassion, seeing the way he listens to people, seeing his wisdom. We're loving Jesus at this point. He's died, he's come back to life. In chapter 28, he's speaking to his close 12 disciples. Have a listen to what he says. 
Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus here issues a command to his close 12 disciples. The command is, go. Not just uh, as you go on in life, there's an intentionality here. You've got to go. What do you do when you go? Go and make disciples. We're not here just talking about kind of a one-point conversion, a one-act thing. We're talking about making people followers of Jesus for life. Transformative learners who will come to Jesus as their teacher and become more and more like him. That's what we're after. Go and make disciples. And it's not just limited to one region. They're to go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, all languages, all tribes, all tongues. Go, make disciples. Now, these commands, they're not just for the 12 disciples that Jesus is speaking to here. 